Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Celtics Collective, brought to you by Heavy on Sports. I'm Adam Taylor, and joined joined with me on the left is Mr. Keith Smith. What's popping today, Keith? Yeah, you know, just another day, another uh, Monday morning here. We're all back to normal on this side in the state. Spring break is over for us, and right back into the regular routine. So straight back into the school traffic after one week off. You got it, man. I don't, I don't envy that at all. <laughs> it doesn't help either that everyone in like as we what is affectionately known as Celtics Nation is currently in the world is crashing down mode. So I'm assuming sports radios are non-listen right now. Um, most podcasts probably <laughs> that should be a non-listen all the time. <laughs> <laughs> see i don't have to worry about that it's just not within my <laughs> ecosystem but i see some crazy stuff coming out of those radios what i will say is that you know for for all of the criticism there are some fair points i think at the, we're, we're, we're bleeding more and more into concern over reasonable discussions rather than just hey we're just gonna be upset because things aren't going our way so I want to kind of just jump in because I feel like there's a lot we need to touch on and not enough time to do so. Um, there, there is a quote about that from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but I can never remember it. So, <laughs> so I want to start with the Portland and Utah game. Full disclosure, I'm still to watch the Portland game, although I did watch Utah twice. Talk about a bad, um, bad time management from me. I should have just watched each one once, but there you go. Old habits die hard. Um, so with the Portland game, we saw that Tatum went and dropped 35. Look, we saw... We saw Jason Tatum, right? Well, everybody else did. I didn't. Um, how do you, how did you think that game went? Was it more in tune with what the Celtics were doing earlier in the season, or was it simply just because of Portland's bad defense? A little bit of both. I, I think they played really, really well. The ball was moving. Uh, they, they were pushing pace. They were taking advantage of that bad Portland defense. They they worked well against uh, Nurkic and Eubanks and the drop, but they weren't taking forever to seek out matchups and plays. It was basically, hey, let's get right into something and go. Tatum's 34 in that game, little misleading because he, he once again did not shoot well, uh, at least from three. He was only two for 11 from three, but he was six of nine from two, uh, finished well at the rim, and he was 16 of 18 from the free throw line. So he showed, all right, I can get scoring other ways. If that Jalen Brown was very good once again in that game, I thought Al Horford might have been their best player. Uh, he was really doing a nice job. He had a couple plays where he did the the kind of old school rip and run off the boards, which we haven't seen, I think, enough out of him. Uh, and then the guards were all, were all really good. Um, the game got tight in the fourth quarter, but it didn't feel like much unlike the Utah game, which we're going to talk about, it didn't get tight because of all the same old reasons. It got tight because Damian Lillard's Damian Lillard, and that's what he does in fourth quarters, right? He just, you know, all of a sudden was on fire and couldn't miss, and they they tried a bunch of different things. Uh, the one thing they didn't do was run two at him and force him to give it up. But, you know, other than that, which is not really a Celtics thing, they, they – and or you know every coach whether it was Stevens, Udoka, or Missoula, they don't really double all that often against guards and ball handlers. But they uh they they were able to make enough plays, and then Smart made one of those kind of Marcus Smart plays at the end of the game where he had a great steal and hit the floor for a loose ball, and that kind of run out dunk, and and they just you know kind of closed. Then you know you were left that one I think feeling pretty good 
all right, you know, here, here we are, we're, you know, figuring this out. They're now, uh, they were three and one on the road trip. And even with the bad Houston loss, it was like, all right, they're, they're, they're moving forward now. And then you have the Utah game where it all kind of came crashing back down again. So the way I want to tie these two in together is before we came into the Portland game on our last episode, we spoke about potentially resting Jason Tatum in that game. And obviously that didn't happen. He played, do you feel like that was a missed opportunity to give to sit him for a game, let him kind of just soak everything in, let his body recover a little bit, and then come back into that Utah game fresh? I don't know because it wasn't like he he played thirty six minutes, but they weren't like thirty six like grueling minutes in the Portland game. So I I think it's in general it's fine. Um, I've just kind of given up on the that he's going to sit. It's just not going to happen. So I'm not going to you know care too much about that anymore I'm more focused now on what happens when he is out there does he get you know is he pushing 40 minutes every night or is he in the low to mid 30s low to mid 30s is fine pushing 40 and more that's where it gets a little tricky to me but I've given up on Jason Tatum's going to take days off it feels like it's going to take a real injury or a all right, you know what? This is a you know four games and five nights, which doesn't really happen anymore unless there's a reschedule, or it's a hey, you've played 25 consecutive games and we're playing a team we should roll over, which that's a question mark for this team right now. Um, but you can sit, you know, in that game, and but other than that, I I, I don't think so. I don't think we're going to see him sit at all. That's fair. I mean, I'd like to see him get some rest. Uh, I feel like at the minute he's playing through some fatigue. You can see him taking deep breaths quite early in games sometimes, which leads us on to that Utah game, right? So one of the things that really interested me is how they defended Tatum. I felt like they were, obviously they were blitzing him, they were sending two at him, but they weren't doing it in a traditional sense where it's take away all of his space and just have two bodies up in his grill. Um, a lot of the time it seemed like they were they were basically blitzing passing lanes and then kind of pinching in on him when he tried to shoot the gap and just really pressuring the ball that way. And it frustrated the life out of him. You could see that he was trying to get the ball out of his hands quickly, but because they were playing those passing lanes, it was kind of difficult for him at times. And then in the second quarter, sorry, the second half, they moved to a zone defense and that just throws a different look at him altogether. I think, is it a Baji? I can never pronounce his name correctly. Yeah, Agbaji. Um, yeah. He'd done a good job on guarding Tatum when, when tasked with it. Um, I just felt like their entire game plan was frustrate Tatum and that would disrupt the rhythm of the Celtics. I don't know if you saw anything different there. Yeah, no, that was obviously their their main focus was let's let's get into him. Let's really you know force him to be as much of a non-factor as you can make Jason Tatum. And, and he only took 12 shots in the game, very low number for him. And this wasn't one where he only took 12 shots because he got to the line. 15 times because he only think took six free throws too. So it was just, it, it, and I'm not even going to say a passive game from Tatum because I thought he read the floor. Well, I thought he did a good job kind of accepting those doubles. I thought Boston's ball and player movement was actually pretty good. They did have 30 assists on their 42 made baskets. So, you know, guys were making an effort to really get off the ball and, you know, move and all those things. It was just, you're, this was a good example of, some stuff you're going to see now, not every team has Walker Kessler hanging back at the rim. Who's become one of the better uh, rim protectors as a rookie in the league. He really is you know, going to be up there. That's a guy who's probably going to be in uh, all defense level uh, consideration, probably 
let's say within a couple of years, and then it'll be like sustained for a decade. He's just that good of a defensive player. Um, then you've got a Linick and Markinen, who are also both huge and long. And then you've got uh, two guards that they're playing right now, mostly uh, Horton Tucker and Agbaji, who are both long and athletic. And then your, your kind of third guard you came with was Chris Dunn. So when you're playing with that as the grouping out there, it just makes it really hard, I think, on the Celtics because they, they were just struggling to find the right reads and find the right kind of, uh, um, how do we put it, find the right uh, ways to get Tatum re-engaged after, after he gave up the ball. That, that was a big thing. He'd give it up and then that was kind of it. It was going to flow away from him and go. So I don't know how many teams can execute that kind of, defense that one three one zone that the jazz went to quite a bit that's a obviously a one game gimmick kind of thing you won't see that uh too often because once boston kind of figured it out then they got good looks against those zones that was more disappointing for me than anything with tatum particularly was how long it took them to identify what the defenses were from from the jazz like it felt like that was you know a two years ago problem where it's like, Oh my gosh, they're in his own. We don't know what to do. And it took, you know, a couple of possessions. So that, that was a little frustrating and yeah, Utah did mix it up. Cause they also played some matchup zone uh, type type principles and those kind of things. So, you know, but overall it was one of those ones where for me, I don't know that the offense at any point in that game was really the problem. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I think that, I was really interested in the way they limited Tatum, but by doing that, you allow someone like Jalen Brown to take over a little bit. And he's like, well, obviously we spoke about him a few times. One of the things I've kind of been harping on about, I don't know if I've said it on this show recently, is you've got two guys in Tatum and Brown that are legitimate three-level scorers, and they thrive in being able to pick their spots across those three levels. And I feel like Tatum's falling more into that shoot the free type of mentality where Brown is playing into what he's meant to be playing into and get to your spots, attack the rim. If the shot, if you can get to the mid range, get there. And then if it opens up from free shoot that, and we're seeing him thrive because of it. Whereas we're seeing Tatum struggle, I think because he's playing outside of what his skill set kind of dictates he should be doing. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I think there's a component of that where it feels like to me, um, Tatum is his he's too reliant on the pull-up shot which is no longer a good shot for him and I'm worried about that part of it um I think he's done a really good job getting downhill I know people harp on his finishing and those kind of things and we it pops up occasionally but when you look at it as a total he's been fine as a finisher near the basket Brown is obviously really good you know at overpowering a lot of guys when he gets down inside I think we've you know, hammered on it quite a bit, but his pace is really, really good. He is willing to take those mid-range shots too, where he's become really pretty solid in the mid-range. Um, I think both of them are overly relying on taking off the dribble threes, and those just don't feel great. They look good when you're when you got it going, and then everybody's like, "No, they're fine." But then everybody that kind of forgets the games where it's like, Oh, they went, but with the difference to me between the two is, and I think part of it is role on the team is Brown seems to be a little bit more, all right, my shot's not falling. I'm going to go to go into attack mode where Tatum seems to have a little bit more. Hey, my job is to shoot. So I'm going to keep shooting. And 
then that's where I think you end up with Brown rarely has like the two for 12, three point shooting game. If he misses a few, then you're going to see him get inside where Tatum will throw those games up because he will just keep letting it fly. And that's been a big issue for me personally, because I'm like Tatum is more than capable of getting to the rim at will. Like he's just got the length, he's got the body control and he's just got, as the kids call it, a back, right? Like he, he can go to, via steps he can go to euro steps he he just has so many ways of getting downhill that i don't think we should be seeing the two from 12 games from him either because there are other spots on the floor where he can be successful so that that, that was probably my biggest takeaway and then obviously grant williams kind of re-announced himself like hey i'm back i'm scoring i'm playing really well it just sucks that the entire talking point around the game was that last second shot which we'll get into if you take that one possession away, this was arguably Grant Williams' best game in the last two months. Oh, not even arguably. It's it definitely is. It's not even close. I think he, he finally looked like the guy we saw at the end of last year in the playoffs, and then again in the uh, beginning of this season. And I think we've seen this building right. He's been shooting with confidence the last few times he's been out there, and now they're starting to go in again. And I think that's really important. I, I look at a guy like Derek White. He's never stopped shooting this year, even when he's been in a rough patch. And sometimes if you're a shooter, which I think Grant Williams' primary offensive role kind of is, yeah. then keep shooting, right? Like like it, you go back to that Bucks game. He, We all focused on what he hit, seven three-pointers, but he was like seven of 19. So it's not like it was an incredible shooting day, but it was good enough, right? And that that's what you needed it to be, was just be good enough out there and if they're gonna leave you open keep keep shooting and i thought i thought he played a really good game i thought he was pretty solid defensively i thought there were times when he did the best work against laurie markinen of anybody on the team as far as making him work and getting him into some some tough shots um you know so yeah that that last possession was just it was a mess and that that, that was a big I think a lot of people beat up on Grant unfairly on that possession. I already wrote about it for Celtics blog, um, but I, I think, you know, he was kind of put on an island that he never should have been on. Yeah, and we can definitely dive into that a little bit deeper in a moment. I think the only other thing I really want to touch on from that game um, is the lack of Derek White down the stretch. And I know that Chris Forsberg wrote a piece on Sunday basically saying that was a baffling decision. Um, I know that a bunch of different Celtics covers have all spoke about it ad, um, ad nauseum over the past 24, 48 hours, but we haven't, so we should. I don't understand why Derek White doesn't play down the stretch in a game that's close and you're trying to at least control the momentum of the opponent, especially when White's arguably your best decision maker on the Sound fair. Like my, my real take is Derek White is your best on-board decision maker as at guard position. Um he, he, he controls the pace of the game really well. There was some really good reads. I like the one to Blake Griffin. There was like a bullet pass into Blake. Blake up faked, kind of drop stepped, and then just got that like friendly roll around the rim. But it was the speed in which White recognized Blake had slipped and he was on the low post, and the ball just left his hands at pace. And it just created a scoring opportunity. That type of play, when you're trying to at least control a team, like keep a team at arm's length or control how many punches they're throwing and how you're going to slip and weave those. That type of play is perfect. So to sit in for the entire four just made no sense to me at all. Yeah, it doesn't. It, it, you, you use the right term. It's baffling. And it's 
been baffling for months now that he doesn't play more. He's never part of the closing lineup. It feels like unless everybody else is out. And it's one of those things where I just don't understand it. He has been, depending on where you put Al Horford, he's either been the team's third or fourth best player this year. And that's how your third or fourth best guy is not on the floor late in these games. Doesn't make any sense. And and I'll go to as well is there are far too many plays in this fourth quarter of this game against Utah where, yeah, they'd gotten things under control by the end of the third and they'd gotten the lead back. And then a, you know, complete bonehead turnover from Jalen Brown where he didn't get the ball over half court in time and end up with an eight second violation, let the jazz hit a shot to end the quarter. And kind of when it looked like they were teetering back towards falling apart, they were right back in it, but they'd gotten things under control. Jalen Brown was playing pretty good. But when you have Tatum and Brogdon out there, you've got now two guys who are going to get the ball swung to them, and then they're going to catch, they're going to hold, they're going to survey, going to see what it looks like, and everything just slows down. When White's out there, it at least gives you another guy who, when you throw it to him, he puts the ball on the floor, he either makes a play, he makes a pass, he shoots, whatever it is, and he's really good at driving the gaps and getting inside. He was the one guy who was driving the gaps in the zone when Utah was in that and making plays, and then all of a sudden – he doesn't play for the final 12 minutes of a game where Marcus Smart's not available. And they were already getting killed on the boards anyway. You weren't going to get beat up any worse on the boards. So I don't understand why you couldn't have just closed super small. Like, why did you have to have Cornette or Mascala out there at the end of the game? Like, just close with Tatum, Brown, Brogdon, White, and Grant. And just say, hey, we need all five guys. No one leaks. No one get all five of you back. Hit a body get on the glass. That's how it's going to have to be to close that way. But they didn't, they closed big and it's a lot of belly aching in a game where the final play goes better and they win. And everybody's probably like, yeah, look at that. You know, four out of five on the road trip to start. And you know, this is great. And you know, and instead we're here like, you know, what is going on with this team? But it's all true. Like all these criticisms that are coming out are pretty fair. Yeah. And my argument there is, yeah, it's a game where the final possession goes a different way, Boston win, but it's a game that should never have came down to the final possession. And that's where my biggest argument is. When you look at what White brings, he's also one of the best shot-blocking guards in the league. He had a block in that game in the second quarter, I think it was, or late in the first. Mm-hmm. You're, you, and we've spoke about veer back kind of switches where you get underneath a big man. There's ways that you can play small with White that way that are going to be just as beneficial in diff- and then be able to allow you to get out and attack at pace. I also like the guard pairing of White and Smart because you have a decision-maker and then a finisher. And Brog- I'm sorry, White and Brogdon. You have a decision-maker and then a finisher, and Brogdon was playing really well offensively in terms of shot-making in that game. So I just don't under- didn't understand why that pairing wasn't on the floor. And you, you are going a bit smaller, but there's ways in which you can make that work to your advantage. It didn't work out. I'm very perplexed at the moment about Missoula's rotations in general. He seems to, I don't think he knows what, what he, his best rotation is at the moment. And this late in the year, to me, that's not only concerning, it's like it's a, it's mismanagement. Like you should have a very good idea, regardless of who's in or out, what your best rotations are. There's a big enough sample size at this point. Yeah, especially in a game like this where. It was really only smart. It was the only rotation player of the garden wing group who wasn't available. So it should have been, all right, we know what we're going to. And then in the big rotation, yeah, I get it. Rob and Al are both out. So 
yeah, it was going to take some, we're going to have to sort through this. We're going to have to manage minutes. We're going to have to figure it out. That part I'm not overly worried about. And I thought Cornette and Muscala both played pretty well in this, this game. I thought they both gave them pretty good minutes. I, I thought they helped clean up to some extent, some of the rebounding issues, but yeah, all, all around, it feels like they're still searching. And now we're thinking maybe in Sacramento on Tuesday, we may see the full roster available again because it sounds like Rob could play. It sounds like Smart should be back and Horford should be back in the lineup because he was just wrestling on the second day of a back-to-back. But I, I don't know, man, with 10 games to go in the season, we ought to know. You know, you ought to know who my guys are and who my my five guys are to close. And if one of them's not available, who the sixth guy to slide in is, who the seventh guy to slide in is. And we're you know, still sorting through this. And this isn't like a team that made major changes at the trade deadline, right? If this is the, I don't know, the Brooklyn Nets who traded, you know, a bunch of starters away and are sorting through and trying to figure it out, or the, you know, the Lakers who traded half their roster and are trying to figure out, you know, what they have available and work around injuries and things. They're relatively healthy-ish. They ought to know how to play without Rob now. They've done it enough over the last couple of seasons. And, it's just sitting in a point where, you know, you, you don't feel good about any of it. And it's funny. I had a friend of mine who said, I don't know how to properly vent about this. And I know because big thing for me is like, all right, if you're going to explain, what would you do differently? And he goes, but just hear me out. He goes, I don't know how I would do the rotation. I just know I wouldn't do it as wrong as Joe Missoula is. And it feels like, it feels like that's kind of true. It just feels like he's searching and seeking and just not finding any of the answers that he wants. And that brings us into the, a good conversation because I feel like we're, we're kind of dancing around the subject at the moment. And I feel like that's what everybody's doing because it's still his first season. He's a rookie head coach. And as much as it, it's kind of unfair to say, Ime Udoka did skew expectations for a rookie head coach because of the success he had. And then Missoula kind of, built a rod for his own back by being successful so early in the season. But do you feel like it's starting to show that maybe he's in over his head a little bit or or a better way of putting it is this job just came too soon and it, it isn't a job that he would have had if circumstances didn't allow him. Maybe it's a job he wasn't actually ready for. Yeah, I think there's probably a little bit of that. I, I think it's, you know, getting the job on the EVA training camp the way he did when you're prepared to be something completely different and then you're thrown into it is tough. Uh, it, it's not because they just played the jazz, but also the the team losing Will Hardy and Ime Udoka, who arguably the day, let's put it this way. Had Will Hardy not gotten the jazz job, I think Will Hardy is the coach of the team right now. Cause I think he was brought in as Ime Udoka's second guy. He was the next guy up. Um, then he left. Then Udoka had his, you know, uh, nonsense and ridiculousness and gets, you know, sent away. And then it's, all right, well, Damon Stoudemire, is he going to be with the team? Is, you know, what are we doing? He's, you know, got one year of, you know, caller, a couple of years, I guess, of college head coaching experience. Missoula has been around for a long time because people forget he was with Brad on his staff. So then it becomes, all right, let's elevate Missoula. And then the team played great. And part of that, I think, was their continuity coming into the season. It was, hey, we didn't make a lot of changes except for Malcolm Brogdon, who's very plug and play, and off we go, and they looked really good. Now you're starting to see 
there's a book on the Celtics. We know kind of how we want to defend them. We know what we can do from other teams. And for me, what you're seeing is he's struggling, like we said, to identify a rotation. The not identifying zone defenses, that can be on the players for sure. But once you're into the second possession of them not knowing what they're seeing, then it's on the coaching staff. Call a player over, even if it's a guy who's not – you know, the point guard bringing the ball up, but just call a player and be like, they're in a one, three, one. This is how we're going to go. That's on the coaching staff. The not playing Derek white. That's, you know, on Missoula. That, that's a hundred percent, you know, on him, the not having somewhat of a solve for this rebounding stuff. You got to figure it out. You know, what well, what is it? You know, do you need to challenge the guys to play more? You know, what is it now? As far as saying, Yo, know, well, if the guy, if the players aren't doing what they do, I'd, you know, if I was the coach, I'd sit them. That's, this is not high school or your middle school kids team that you coached, you know, and they didn't listen to me. So, you know, they should run suicides after the game. Like, that's not, it's not what we do here, right? Like, this is not, it's the NBA. These are grown ups. You don't, you don't do things like that. But there, he needs to be a little bit more into the guys to, Hey, you got to bring the effort a little bit more consistently. We need to identify things better. Our execution needs to be better. We just need to be a better basketball team than what we're showing night to night because the answer can't just be, well, collectively, we're all from head coach on down bored with the regular season because now all of a sudden you wake up and you're in the third seed. And now your path's going to be more difficult because it's not so much about the first round. You ought to be able to get through the first round if we think you are who you are. But now you got to go on the road for the second round, probably. Then on the road for the conference finals. Then likely, well, who knows because the West is so crazy, but you could be a, the road team again in the finals. Like You're talking about winning three out of four series to win a title on the road? That's not really where you want to be. And it's, I think if they had just been this team all year, everyone would be like, all right, I guess last year kind of was the fluke and you know this is what it is. But they were so good at the beginning of the year that it's like, what has happened here? Some of it's not on Missoula. Rob being out, you know, that to me, that's more of a Brad thing. You didn't you didn't plan and prepare well for that. You should have had better options. You know, Blake Griffin's been extremely fun. It's been great to have him on the roster and see him do these things. But it's like, that's 10 minutes per game once, maybe twice a week, like you can get that out of him because you you saw it in the Utah game. You just, you didn't have anything left after and that's fine. I mean, he's, you know, 57 years old and, you know, can't do these things physically anymore. So that's where should have been a little bit better. And, you know, I, if I was Brad, I would be like, what did I trade for Mascala for if he's never going to play, you know, and he's only going to get thrown in when everybody else is out or at the ends of these games, like that just seems a little weird to me. So I, I don't know. It's just, I think, you know, you put it in all together uh, with Missoula. And then the last thing I'll say, because I know it's going to kind of lead into the, another topic, is I don't have the problem with his ATOs that you have in general, but I don't like his now end game uh, situation because he's running the same thing with slight variations off it. And they're not good enough variations that it's making it any different. The, you know, and that, that's a huge frustration for me. Yeah, and I feel like that can be put across his, and I'll spell them out again, uh, much to the arc of Keith, the SLOBs and BLOBs, uh, slubs and blubs, sidelines out of bounds, baseline out of bounds. I feel like that's exactly the same thing, though, right? Like, we're seeing the same actions rant, but with very minuscule 
alterations or variants. And that lack of variance is just allowing teams to scout you, counter you, anticipate what those variances might be. If you look at that final ATO, it was very clear that they knew Tatum might not be the guy to receive the ball directly. They yep. started to hedge. They started to sink. They they were anticipating and looking to counter whoever was going to get the ball. And it, that I think that's what led to the play becoming such a... We'll, we'll just call it a cluster and you can fill in the final word just now. <laughs> Um, it led to that play becoming a cluster because everybody was confused about who was going to receive the ball. Nobody knew how to deal with a team, not only knowing what you're running, but anticipating the difference in what you're running. And it just it was just an absolute nightmare, man. And putting Tatum that far away from the ball makes so little sense to me. Um, even if you are asking him to come off a DH at DHO, it's very easy to cancel a screen, which is just where a defender gets in the way of the guy with the guy with the ball and the guy looking to get the screen or the DHO, it's very easy to cancel that sort of thing. And having that as your last player of the game makes little to no sense. Yeah, so let's do, we, the, you know, we, with respect to time, but let's let's go into it a little bit on that because I think there's a couple things out of this. Is One, Will Hardy coached this game much like a playoff game. And part of what you saw was all the different defensive looks they gave because they ran it wasn't just the one three one zone they also ran some two three they also ran some i think it was one two two is what it looked like so they did run some different variations plus they were you know all right when tatum gets it here we're gonna send two at the ball but if it's brown above the free throw line we're not but brown below the free throw line we're gonna have a second guy you know just in his in his, in his vision is in his field of vision um so now why they were off like four or five days. So they had enough time in the NBA in the regular season. There's generally not enough time to game plan for a specific opponent, because what happens is you play the next day. If you don't play, that's a rest and recovery day. There's no practice. Then the next day you play again. So what happens is you're basically any kind of game specific stuff is more, Hey, watch out. Like, Kings on Tuesday, watch out for De'Aaron Fox. He likes to go to his left, right? Like that's kind of what you're doing is just reminding guys like, you know, Hey, you'll know, beware of, you know, Sabonis running these elbow actions and those kind of things, but it's not a, here's what we're building for this team unless you have several days. So that's what Utah was able to do. And at your point, they knew what was coming on that last play. The variations on the last play have been either Tatum starts basically closer to the other arc or free throw line. They throw it to him direct. That's more if there's about 10 seconds left on the clock. And then Tatum brings it up himself and shoots it. Or Tatum starts back there, runs himself, catches it on the run himself, comes up, and he shoots it. Or the other option, which is what they tried here, and generally it's Marcus Smart is the guy catching the pass, is throw it into somebody else. That flows right into an immediate DHO or a pitch play. Tatum gets it, Tatum gets downhill, or Tatum pulls up and shoots it. On this one, it was, all right, he didn't start a mile away. He started at half court, so just over half court. So you knew, all right, this is probably going to be the DHO play. So if you watch, and you can go pull this on Celtics blog, you can see I, I dropped the clip in there. It's in the takeaways from the Utah game, um, and I broke it down. They, Malcolm Brogdon's the inbounder, throws it into Grant, Grant is coming up to catch it with the idea of, all right, I'm going to go right into a DHO. 
when he throws it in, Markinen jumps it. So Markinen jumps and break, basically blows up the play as the ball is being inbounded. So Grant has to backdoor him a little bit and catch it. Now he's already going towards the basket instead of towards Tatum at half court. Tatum's too far away once it's been blown up because now Grant would have to catch, stop, pivot, come back. There was only five seconds left. I'll pause here to say, because a bunch of people, well, this is on Missoula. He didn't call a timeout. Didn't have a timeout left. They'd use their last timeout to set this up. So Grant catches. Hauser's in the strong side corner. People are like, Grant had a kickout pass. He might have, except Markinen's trailing. So Markinen's coming hard behind him. He may get a hand in there. Kelly Olenek stunted to help and then stepped back towards Hauser. So in Olenek already had like seven deflections in that game already off passes, including a couple from, from Grant. So then your next thing is, all right, well, should he throw it back to Malcolm Brogdon? Yeah, that probably would have been a great play because Brogdon was unguarded, except he never got in bounds, stayed out of bounds for the entirety of the play. Never came in after he threw it in. Tatum now doesn't move, basically stays at half court because, all right, it's all blown up. I can't get the ball. So he basically hangs out there. And then the only other guy on the court is Jalen Brown, who might as well have been already on a flight to Sacramento. He was so far away from the play. He's hanging out, lifts out of the opposite corner, but there's not no pass there because his defender stayed right with him. Then when he dropped into the baseline again, there's no way Grant can make that pass. So now you've left Grant in a spot where now we'll agree with Grant. Probably should have shot a floater. Probably should have done something else other than drive directly into Walker Kessler. Cause that's just Grant's not big enough, nor strong enough unless he gets away with an offensive foul to bounce Kessler off him enough to get that finish. So he kind of did the best he could in a really terrible situation. And it starts with cool. You ran the same thing you've run feels like 400 times at the end of games. It's probably more like five or six, but the jazz obviously knew what was coming and he just made a big mess of it. Uh, with that. And then not only was that bad, but then the execution after everything after the pass was thrown in was awful. Nobody did anything because Hauser too, he could have lifted out of the corner just a little bit. Didn't even need to get above the break, just get a little closer to, to, to the above the break line. And Grant might add a better pass there. Maybe not because Mark and it might've been able to get in there and break it up, but yeah. And then last thing I'll say, Grant gets blocked. Marketing gets the ball after the block. Hauser tips it free, but because Tatum had never moved from half court, there's no chance. And Brogdon never got in bounds. Neither one of them could get to that loose ball that, that Hauser tipped away. So it just went sailing down the court and game over and finished. They, they, they would have caught it and would have been a heave and a prayer anyway. But again, because you didn't move and you stayed out of bounds, you know, what are we doing here? And that's, that's where the whole thing was just a big mess and, and it's it's tough. So yeah, it's on Missoula some, but that's where it's on Missoula some, but it's also on the players too, because the execution was also crappy. I think what made it worse was that ATO came directly after a bad decision, a bad play call for that two for one play, right? Yep. Like asking Tatum to be the guy to flow into a dribble pull-up on a two for one when he's not been in form for weeks, uh Bordering on a month now, I think we're getting close to that point. His pull-up game off the dribble, as we spoke about earlier in this show, isn't exactly his strong suit. Nope. Yet you go to Jason Tatum on a pull-up three and a two for one. Yep. That just seemed like a bad 
decision to me. I feel like there's other guys that could have been given the ball there, or you could have looked for a different way of getting the, that bucket. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean he's he's now probably under twenty eight percent. I think it is um, pull up three pointers this year. Like that's that's bad. And then that means that's a bad shot. And this isn't just he's having a rough year shooting. This is now a like carryover from a year ago too. He was not a good pull up three point shooter then. He's yo, know, and that's it sounds like I'm bagging on Jason Tatum quite a bit in this episode, and I probably am because I expect a lot more out of him because he is the team's best player. He is the guy who was an MVP candidate early in the season. And now it's just kind of settled back into, all right, Jason Tatum's a top five to 10 player in the league, but he's not a top two or three guy right now. And that's, that's not the end of the world. I mean, that's high, you know, very hard and high level to get to, but you, you, you could have been there and you know, it's those two for ones that they're running to, Let's run it with somebody else. Just see what it looks like. Um, last play, too. If they get into this Kings game and they need a, whether it's a quarter ending play or they need a, you know, buzzer beater to win a game, like, can we just do something where Jalen Brown isn't, you know, already on the bus and, you know, waiting to get to the airport? Like, you know, I just, I don't understand what's going on with, you know, we got to put him as far away from the court as far away from the play as humanly possible. He's way too good to be a, just a crappy level decoy of let's pull, you know, one defender completely out of it. So yeah, it's just all around. I'm a little frustrated with that whole portion of the game management. Um, I started the season really, excited for Missoula. I think that when you come in as into a new situation where you're taking over from a coach that's typically had success, whether it be one year, three years, whatever, there's definitely some form of onus on you to implement some of your own system, bring your own style of play. But what I feel like is Missoula's kind of thrown everything that worked out over the season, bit by bit, incrementally changed it. And now we're left with the best of Missoula, but the worst as well. He hasn't built on top of what was already in place because he's completely gone to offense. I don't know if you feel differently. Yeah. I. So there's a couple of things. I, I, I think with that part of it, I, I think it's, um, I, I think there's, I think the defense is not as where, where we want it to be because of the absence of Rob. Like and, and even when he's played, he's just not Rob anymore, right? He's, he's he just hasn't been that guy. Um, so I think that's a huge part of why the defense is there. I've also talked about it. I don't think Smart has been anywhere near as good. Uh, never mind last season as where he was the seasons before it. I think he's dropped off considerably. And I think I think we're gonna find out after the season he's probably gonna have some kind of surgery on his you know ankle or something. And I think we're gonna find out that's been bothering him because he just looks slow. Um, that's the you know single biggest thing I can describe. He can bring it uh, for plays like he did at the end of the Portland game, but it's it's now certain plays where he brings it versus you know long stretches of games where it's just like, my lord, would you get this guy off me because I can't do anything right? It's just you know he he hasn't been that guy. So that part is, um, I think that I'm not going to beat up on Missoula for. It's funny because people are like, you know, we let up way more points than a year ago. Yeah, so does everyone in the entire league. They're still like the fourth or fifth defense ranked defense in the NBA, which is, yeah, it's a little fall from a year ago, but not drastically. So, you know, once you're, once you're in the top five, it's just a matter of, you know, 
did you take it serious? Did the end of blowouts? Did you not? Like those are the things that start to add up. Um, but it, so I think, you know, adjusted for the fact that offense has exploded around the league, the defense is fine. I think in offensively, I don't have any problem with the approach of, Hey, get good threes. I've said it before though. They just got to be good threes, threes that come off of paint attacks, balls, moving all those things. Now that said, if you're, you know, midway through the fourth quarter and you're four for 28 on three pointers, yeah, it's probably time to seek out something different because it's probably just not going to go down for you. But in general, I don't have a problem. My my bigger issues now with Missoula is I don't like the complete lack of respect for the media that he shows very regularly. And this is not all oh, look at the media guy. You got to respect me because we're the conduit to the fans. Right. So it's a lack of respect for the fans, too, because when he's asked about, like, why doesn't Derek White play more matchups? And that's all I'll say matchups. You know, well, you know, hey, what about that last play? Oh, you think Jason Tatum taking a three is not a good shot? Like, and it's just, just like, come on, man. We know you're better than this. We know you're brighter than this. Just give a little insight, a little detail into, you know, what it is. And here's the thing if we'd like the Derek White thing, the, even if he said something like, you know, I kind of get caught up in it and didn't get him back in the game. I can respect it. Like, I'm still going to be like, hey, well, you need to be better about it. Then have an assistant who's like, hey, uh, Derek hasn't played for the last 15 minutes of game time. Like, are we going to get him back in there? Like, you can have that, you know, assign that to somebody. But, yeah, I just, I, I do feel like a little bit of, you know, it's all kind of going sideways. And he is a big part of, you know, where it's all kind of gone sideways. I'm not going to yet i'm not going to talk about whether or not he stays in this role because it's far too soon but i think that well he's going to because they gave him a, yeah. a contract i mean they're they're, they're not going to fire him and pay him not to be the coach i mean that's especially the, after firing yeah. a coach mid-season yeah that's exactly it i mean that's it's it's not going to change now you we can say did they screw up by giving you removing the interim tag that's a whole other story and that's probably fair but it also wasn't it would have been very, very odd to, all right, Ime's gone. Like, we've clearly separated from that situation. That was clear the minute it was they'll let him go to the Nets, you know, for nothing. But then it was, it would have been weird to, hey, he coached the All-Star game because his team had the best record at the All-Star break. And his team's, you know, you know, rolling into the second half of the season. And this guy is still an interim coach. Like that would have been weird and it probably would have been awkward and a million questions for people. And I think they tried to do it to, Hey, let's get rid of that distraction. We feel pretty good about where things are, but now it's kind of come back to bite him. but he's not getting fired. I mean, people need to get over that and stop anybody who keeps saying, bring me back. Just yeah. one, it's disgusting Two, It's never, ever, ever happening. So just, you know, let it go and move on already or go wait till he gets a job and go support that team instead. Cause he's never coming back to Boston. Yeah. And I'm going to second that and say that, you know, at the end of the day, you don't fire a coach and suspend a coach that took you all the way to the NBA finals. If you don't have more than enough reasons, yeah. whatever, like, and the, with people saying like, Oh, well, release the information that's not how things work this is nope. a private company it's a legal yep. matter we we don't need to know we don't deserve to know so yeah like, they've told us all we need to know yeah exactly moving on because we could upset a lot of people with that discussion <laughs> uh moving on i want to look at the king's preview now i was speaking to a buddy of mine who covers the kings um as media brendan nunez just give him a shout out and he he's 
He's feeling it right now. Like he's in Sacramento. You can see the beam from his apartment when he's not at games, which is never. Um, he's always there. But he, he's feeling really confident about how Sacramento are going to penetrate Boston's perimeter defense with the Aaron Fox running those elbow actions with Sabonis that you alluded to earlier. And he's also very confident in their ability to really fluster Boston's offense, especially in minutes where Davion Mitchell's on the floor. He did give me another name as well, but I'm completely spacing out on that right now because it's one of those days, apparently. Um, I'm actually, this is probably one of the games I'm coming into where I'm nervous for Boston because the Kings are just, they're, they're, they're rolling at the moment and they're probably one of, the, one of, if not the most informed team in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, they are a blast to watch. And a big reason why they're a blast to watch is they play great offense and don't really play a whole heck of a lot of very good defense. Now, they're better at times on the defensive end, for sure. But, you know, when you're looking at this team, you're kind of like, Garrett, it's Davian Mitchell plays, you know, really good defense. And then kind of Harrison Barnes brings it every once in a while. And so bonus isn't, you know, the traffic cone people want to make him out to be. He's actually pretty solid at times. But then it's like, Keegan Murray's kind of figuring it out. Kevin Herter is okay at times. And it's just a lot of guys who you're kind of like, yeah, they're kind of okay. Um, so I'm not worried. The Celtics should be able to score. I am worried about all those things of, can they stop them? Can they, can they control De'Aaron Fox? Can they control Malik Monk, who's had a great season? Kevin Herter being out, I think, is actually, or maybe being out. We'll see. We don't know yet because um, this game's not till Tuesday, but he's dealing with a hamstring injury. We'll see. Kings are on a back-to-back because they're playing tonight against Utah. So Utah has a chance to you know, factor into this again. So if they can push them, now the Kings are coming back home. It's a back-to-back for them. Boston's actually already in Sacramento, kind of just hanging out. So you know, are they going to be, you know, for, for once, weirdly, oddly, at the end of a road trip too, they'll have the rest advantage. You know, what will that look like? So I'm very curious to see what it looks like at the end of the day. They still have a chance to go 4-2 and two on a late-season West Coast, East-to-West road trip. Which is really good, you know, and that's that's a four and two record on a six game road trip is something that everybody should be happy about. Even if two of the losses were ones where it's like, ah, oh, they probably should have won those games. That's still a good road trip. Four and two, get back home. Then they've got you know, I think six of their final nine are at home. If I remember right, it's something in that range. So then, yeah, you know, let's go. But I mean, they're gonna have to play. This is not the Kings where you just show up, roll the ball out there, go score your 125 points and go home with a 20 point blowout. That's you may score 125, but they're pretty likely to put up 130 on you if you're not, you know, playing the way you should be. So it should be a really fun game and it's a good sense, good chance rather to see do the Celtics have it in them to kind of dig down a little bit and say, are we going to end this trip on a positive? Let's get a win here. Let's really you know, go out and do our thing. And then, then we can go home a little bit of momentum again, four and two trip feeling pretty good. We're, you know, been able to kind of hold off Philly enough to, you know, we're, we're probably heading into tiebreaker territory and off we go. Well, we're going to see you know, how that all kind of comes together here. Is there anything else you want to touch on from that game other than the fact that, um, I completely forgot. Keegan Murray looks like um, is being compared to a, a young Chris Middleton. And Chris, like, because Chris Middleton's a Celtics killer. So do we have to start factoring in Keegan Murray as a um, Celtics killer at this point? I don't know. That's interesting because I don't know that I necessarily see that out of him. I think he's, he's a little bit bigger 
Um, then then uh, Chris Middleton, as far as the way he plays, and he's not quite as good off ball, but he is good. I really like Keegan Murray quite a bit. He's starting to figure stuff out. Um, you know, Sabonis is kind of their high post trigger man. Uh, they run a lot of really cool stuff where they run the guards off him and the wings off him. They, they run a lot of, um, I like to call them like, like multiple cutter actions where it's, you know, follow through, follow through. And then um, they, they run this one thing where what they do is they send two cutters in on a cross cut in the paint where they, they come across. And as they're both looping out, the other two guys who set the screens on the outside then also do a cross cut behind it. And Sabonis is such a good passer that he generally picks out either a shooter pops free because you get, you know, you're worried about protecting the basket too much, or he picks out somebody on the cut um, there. So that that's something they run quite a bit. And De'Aaron Fox is he's having an all NBA level season. So, I mean, the, this Kings team is really, really good. It's it's Celtics are going to have to be locked in and you know, really play well to, to come out of this with a win. But if they're the team we think they they are, they should be able to be right there and try to get this victory. I'm going to leave it there because I feel like if we say any more, like we can end on a positive note. Let's just end on a positive <laughs> note. So we're going to leave it there. We'll be back again on Thursday when we're going to be speaking about a certain Celtics victory. Um, I say certain in air quotes. Until then, everybody, if you're new to the show, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you follow Keith. Keith is absolutely crushing it on everything. He just released some cap breakdowns, one for Jalen Brown and then another one for Austin Reeves uh, over on Spot Track. So make sure you go check that out there. My social handle is the same across every single social media platform known to humankind. So just go find me and hit follow. I'm probably quite boring, but you might enjoy some of it. And we'll catch you later in the week. <laughs>